Hi, this is Bobby Ryan of the Detroit Red Wings, and you are listening to Empty Betters with Nick, Mack, and Harrison. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to episode 64 of Empty Betters. I'm your host, Harrison Scholes, and I'm going to toss it across the screen to my co-host with a fresh new beanie rocking the Caps reverse retro jersey, Nick Manella. How are we doing, buddy? I am doing well. Hear that? Do you know what that is? That's, <laughs> Bush, mo- that's Bush Light right there. And that's it has been like light. two weeks since I have had a frosty one of these bad boys, which doesn't sound like a lot, but like in my world, when I have to suffer through Bud Light and, you know, Coors Light, I can do, but God forbid someone comes at me with a Miller Light. I'd rather like <laughs> eat cat hair. So, uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm back home now, back in good old snowy, cold as fuck Maryland. Got even more today. Uh, as Same. if, it, you know, snow is fine, but, you know, why not just cover my yard in a sheet of ice that's not thick enough to skate on? Whatever. That's cool. I don't care. Dude, I took a rough fall today. I went to go uh, shovel off like the end of the driveway because, you know, the car is kind of low to the ground. So it was like scraping. I ate shit on the driveway. I mean, like yard sale, ass over tea kettle kind of thing. Full. Yeah, literally like right out of a textbook. So that was kind of embarrassing. Luckily, none of the neighbors were outside, but uh, wrist is a little sore. Mm. Um, so that's not good yeah. the dominant one or the non-dominant one <laughs> the non-dominant one <laughs> okay. oh yeah, we're fine you're all good we're fine. yeah you're all good yeah um and i'm gonna toss it off to our producer on the west coast mac vogel how we doing buddy doing well hanging in there it's a beautiful day in sunny california as it has been pretty much every day that i've lived here so Fuck off. uh you know it may, it may sound nice but honestly i i it gets a little gets a little old the sun gets old just like the snow gets old believe it or not so uh but no nothing to complain about here ready to talk some hockey as always and uh i think we got a lot of news to cover and uh pretty pretty interesting guest today as well yeah so before we you know get going and do a bunch of news around the league this is actually going to be quite an entertaining episode i would say based on the amount of storylines we have but we do have a very special guest on we were fortunate enough to be joined by danny christo uh, Danny played in the 2010 World Juniors for Team USA and is also an alumni of the North Dakota men's hockey team. Uh, so that's pretty cool. He has a lot of interesting stories and a lot of cool names that he got to play with and against. I think you guys are in for a good one. That was super cool. And, you know, just to hear what he's up to now, um, just such a cool guy. So huge thanks again to him for uh, joining us. And we think you guys are going to love this one. Yeah, but before we get to the interview with Danny, we got a shit ton of news to cover. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the league right now, so sit back, relax, crack a cold one, or drink your coffee, and let's get to it. I'm going to toss it off to Nick to drive us through the episode. All right, well, as if this wasn't a crazy enough year, uh, Monday hits, and Artemi Panarin will be taking a leave of absence from the New York Rangers. Uh, this is sort of after some allegations came out of an alleged assault back in 2011. This is all from uh, Larry Brooks of the New York post. And this was followed up by Larry Brooks saying, and the Rangers ultimately backing this up that this is all because Panarin has sort of publicly expressed his displeasure with the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. And they're saying that this is basically like a, you know, 
Russian mafia style, like we're going to slander your name <laughs> because you don't agree with us type deal, like trying to make his life difficult. Yeah. But, I mean, this is like a career ruining <laughs> type deal. And obviously like, you know, the assault and, you know, this is an alleged assault of an 18 year old woman. So this is nothing to like laugh and joke about, but you know, if it's true, but like, if this is just bullshit, like a lot of people are saying it is, I mean, this is not a good look for, uh, Mr. Panarin. Yeah, definitely not. Well, I, I, I find it funny. The Rangers, did you see the statement that they issued earlier today? They basically backed him up and they're like, this is horseshit. Like he denies all of it. This is this is a collusion of political propaganda to kind of slander his name. I'm not going to go into the opinions. I, I only like kind of laugh because like the Internet just goes nuts whenever Putin's involved in some type of like shit like this. Um, it obviously is a, a very serious scenario. It, the more serious part is I believe Artemi's family is still in Russia which is terrifying if you're him. <laughs> yeah, um, this is a really weird situation. I think that, um, you know, it's obviously too too early. I mean, this just happened today. Um, too early to know exactly what, what the truth is and everything, but I agree with Harry. It's kind of interesting that the Rangers themselves, not only, I think they even went as far to say that they were going to do everything they could to find out like the root of the fabricated story. Um and yeah, it's really tough for, for Panarin, really sad that he has to um, step away for a bit and, and just to make sure his family is okay. But it's tough because I think what he's done to speak out against Putin is pretty brave um, for Russia, for any Russian athlete, especially somebody of his caliber to do something like that. Um, it says a lot, but obviously it says a lot too, that, um, you know, Putin and them aren't messing around. They're going to, they're going to do everything they can to squash that kind of uh uh, out outreach. Yeah, I it it's definitely a serious matter. Um, I wonder how long he'll be out for. I hate to switch it right to how does this impact the Rangers because obviously this is a guy's life at hands potentially, but it is going to suck for New York. I mean, he's obviously their star player, and they're kind of middle of the road in the standings right now. So uh, hopefully he's not out too long. I would imagine putting a law team together to fight the government of russia is not the easiest task in the world um but yeah i think that's kind of where he is right now so best of luck to him you know not gonna speculate on storylines being true false we're just basically saying what's all over twitter you can read larry brooks he's a great follow um the rangers issued a statement just like we said uh by the way larry brooks <clears throat> I didn't know who he was until Mark told me, but you know, the Tortorella interview where he's like, you get the fucking picture, Brooksy. That's Larry Brooks. Fun fact. Uh, yeah. And they have just such a great back and forth. It's so entertaining. The last thing I'll say on the Panarin thing is either way, like whatever of these two sides is true. If one of them is both just have no place in the game. You obviously assault has no place in the game. And then, political intimidation and scare tactics like this just have no place in society either. So, uh, you know, obviously echoing what you said, wish the best to him and his family uh, for sure. Moving on. We had two outdoor games. Uh, well, I guess technically like, you know, two and a half. <laughs> yeah. Two and a half pretty much. Uh, so <clears throat> if you didn't know the NHL hosted two outdoor games at Lake Tahoe over the weekend, one on Saturday and one on Sunday, the backdrop was incredible. I mean, the Lake Tahoe is beautiful. I've been fortunate enough to go there. It's just 
stunning to look at. Um, you know, crystal clear water, blue sky, mountains, snow on the ground, ski resort, everything just phenomenal. The first game was between the abs and the Knights, and they got what they finished the first period, I believe. Yeah, and then they had a about an eight hour delay till the second period. Yeah, the ice looked like soup <clears throat> for lack of a better term. And I mean, they were showing, you know, guys skating up the ice and like taking like three quarter inch divots like out of the ice surface. It it was just bad. And um, yeah, I mean, eight hours to then restart the game at midnight Eastern time, 9 PM local time. That's got to suck for those players. I'm sure they were miserable. It looked like they were trying to skate on snow basically instead of ice. I mean, it was, it was mess. And um, you know, we, we all know why the NHL had to do a game like this. It's all, you know, trying to get more money and everything. And and we get that, but I think that they, they probably should have looked a little more into the situation before just, you know, going through all the trouble to set up this rink for two big games and then have to change the times. And probably a lot of people weren't even able to watch it because of that. And I think that they really need to, uh, you know, these outdoor games are great, but there's so many different places across the country that they can host these things where those kinds of issues won't happen. I mean, Go up north, go somewhere where you're not going to have to deal with that kind of midday sunshine. Or here's here's another suggestion: don't have the game in the middle of the day when it's sunny and everything. I yeah. mean, was, yeah. I wish they would have thought through a little bit more. But hey, it was a cool backdrop. It was a cool concept. Not much else to say about it. You would think one person would be like, "Oh, why are we starting this at noon when the sun is literally going to be directly over the giant sheet of ice that you don't want to melt?" But yeah. right, it's it's a tricky situation, and I'm just speculating. But I think they did it in daylight to kind of get that backdrop view, which makes sense. <clears throat> in hindsight, yeah, they probably should have done the first game at night. The second, the the Sunday game between the Flyers and Bruins, I think went a lot well it couldn't have gone any worse but it went a lot smoother um the only thing i will say is that when you're dealing with the sunset i don't know if you guys watched the first period it was impossible to see the puck with the amount of shadows on the ice it was i mean and that's that's okay like you know they're they're doing the best it was something cool they tried it i'm not gonna fault them for giving it a you know a creative try i will say the unsung hero of that whole weekend mike Tarico and eddie olchuk had to kill eight hours of time not quite eight hours. They went through like different programs, but they killed a solid two hours just bullshitting on the side of the rink. No fans, no nothing. That takes a lot of talent. I give them credit. And the internet had a new um, star that was born in uh, Dusty Gooch. First ballot Hall yeah. of Fame name. and Dusty Gooch. Made my viewing experience completely worth it 10 times over. Uh, I saw a lot of social media action that people were saying this is great. Like I, there, there weren't fans in attendance for those that were curious. I thought it was great that those people that had like rented boats and were out in their kayaks, like just deleting beers, like, you know, got to get as close as they did. Uh, A lot of people were saying like, Hey, this is cool for outdoor games. We'd rather you do like a scenic location with no fans as opposed to like a baseball stadium with fans where, or like, you know, the Ab Stadium Series game where like if you sat Ugh. front row, you couldn't see fucking shit. Like, you know, do Lake Tahoe, do like Banff, do Lake Louise, something like that, you know, instead Park of Park City or some shit. Yeah, like stuff like that, like do cool locations. Like someone was saying like, um, 
they compared it to the Michigan State North Carolina basketball game that they did on the deck of an aircraft carrier. I'm not saying do that because I don't know how you can physically do that, but um, you know, doing it in cool locations like that as opposed to you know baseball and football stadiums. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad idea. The one thing I will say, I don't. The the one at the big house with the leaves first the wings that's just so hard to top that's that's too cool I mean it'd be nice if they could do one of one and one of the other at some point when things are normal but uh, yeah it was it was an overall uh, good i good idea not the best execution uh, the Bruins looked like a wagon as per usual they're on fire right now the Flyers didn't really have an answer and I got murdered on that first period under bet thank you uh, seven minutes in and you know. There was my money gone. Did you hear the? Uh, you, we obviously saw and reposted the McKinnon basically end to end snipe. Did you hear Petrangelo mic'd up? <laughs> oh boy! Oh, it was so funny. <laughs> Wait, what did he say? Here we go, or oh boy? What did he he was say? like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. McKinnon. If you haven't seen the clip, um, McKinnon's coming down the right wing like full speed, and they had Petrangelo mic'd up, and McKinnon wasn't even at half ice. He's like, oh boy, here we go. Like, yeah, this is this is going to be a good one, and of course. McKinnon snipes right there. So, and he was getting Petrangelo was getting roasted online. Everyone's like, "Nice gap control, idiot!" <laughs> like McKinnon's like, "I'm like, how do you how gap do, control? How, him? <laughs> how do you gap control a player like that? It's you know, you don't. It's like water skiing behind an airplane. It's just not going to happen." He forced him wide too. Like it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it was just an insane shot. But like, if, you know, if you force someone to take a shot from where it was taken, I'd like to think if it's not you know, McKinnon, Matthews, or McDavid, it's probably not going to go in, but that's the world we live in. Definitely. Uh, Nico Hutcher returned to play for the Devils and got named captain. Good for him. Um, I think he's probably going to be an essential piece of that franchise for a while. I remember when, uh, was it last year when he signed that deal? Everyone was sort of saying it's an overpay. Um, I think they have him for like six more years now. It was a long term, yeah. It was like it, it was the the cap hit wasn't tremendous, but the the it was term, like I think seven off. Yeah. years, and it was like close to fifty in total. I want to say I, I think it was just above seven per or something like that. Okay, I saw this guy play in person, and I now think that's an underpay. He's sick. He's got good. He's got great stick skills. Good two way guy. Absolutely, too. just such a good two way guy. So good for him. Uh, former devil now playing in Anaheim, Adam Henrique was placed on waivers. I was a little bit surprised by that. Uh, he went unclaimed and yeah, his contract is a complete nightmare. So, um, he was like free for any team to grab obviously on waivers over a 24 hour period, but he's going to stick with the ducks. Now no one claimed him. He's 31 years old. He is a five, eight, three, uh, in cap hit. And that's through the 2024 season. So I think that's a situation of this is just not a good contract. No one wants this. He hasn't been playing. I, you know, it's not horrible. It's not great. The Ducks are in last place. I think they were just trying to let's try and shed something so we can make a move here. Yeah, you're, you're in 50, 50% retention uh, territory right now, I think, if you're going to try to shed him. So, yeah. Those are really my thoughts on that. And I think a lot of teams will look at that and go, okay, it's not worth it. Like, I mean, if it was one year, maybe a team like Ottawa, if they had the space, I mean, or the Red all, Wings. Yeah, get all the depth you can, you know, especially down the middle, but yeah, oh well. Um, 
the Jack Eichel trade rumors are heating up big time. I feel like, you know, this is the now that Patrick Line has been dealt, this is the premier trade rumor in the National Hockey League. Anytime the Sabres aren't playing well, so once a year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. you see these start to swirl. And the two teams that seem to be the most prevalent at the top of those lists would be the New York Rangers and the Los Angeles Kings. It's scary. What I do think we think? It'd be pretty cool to see him in LA. Honestly, I don't want him in the Metro. I don't want him on the Rangers. I think that's the last <laughs> thing that the Rangers need right now. And we can all agree on that, but um, yeah, send him off to LA, whatever, get him out of the East Eastern conference. Um, make him less of my problem to worry about, you know, but I actually think that he'd be a good fit with the Kings for a couple of reasons. I can see him playing well with um, some of the young guys that they have over there. And I think the Kings are on the up and up. Like I think they they don't have too far to go before they're actually like a contender again in the next couple of years. Yeah, no, Mac, I totally agree. I think obviously we're a little biased. I do not want him to go to the Rangers. I also just find it hard to, fathom that the rangers would send him you know right across the state you know up north right there uh i do think in la he would be a great fit i think he's you know got he's young he's got a little edginess to him a little good personality i think he'd be good for the sport in los angeles they definitely have enough prospects and uh, assets to give up so i think that would that would work fairly well um i will say i'm not necessarily sure if he joins either of these teams that they're all of a sudden like contenders if that is not too disrespectful to say so part of me thinks you know maybe he's going to try and make a run at a team who's already upper middle of the pack and then take them to that tier one step i don't know i don't know who would fall into that category to be honest For some reason i can see him like just playing well with arthur kaliev in like a year or two or something like that i don't know mm-hmm. that's just what came to mind initially when i thought of the kings and him but i agree with you it wouldn't be like it i mean don't get me wrong the guys would generational talent but he's not necessarily the kind of guy who can single-handedly like oh he's on your team boom you're like you could win the cup this year or something you know which obviously the sabers yeah it's not happening yeah i feel like if he was in new york yeah that's great you add star power up front but your back end still has more holes than swiss cheese so (laughs) like if their big piece that they got was like a like i don't know like thomas shabbat or like a young stud defenseman like yes i would then say you're building in the right direction to make yourself a contender uh that thought of him and kaliev playing together is pretty scary especially when you consider that they would also have alex turcott on that team and quentin byfield on that team so yeah uh Things are on the up and up in LA for sure. Two other places where things are on the up and up are Chicago and Florida. Uh, Kevin Lankinen and Chris Dreger have been lights out for their teams. They've basically, I would say at this point, taken over starting roles in my mind of who I would put in net. Um, And these two teams are at the top of that central division. And I think we were like Chicago, no chance this year. Florida maybe should be in, but like we know how Florida is, they might be on the cusp and everyone's looking at Dallas and Tampa going, Oh, they're shoe-ins to, you know, to walk through this division. But these two teams are at the top now. And if you asked me, you know, two months ago, if I thought this was going to happen, I would have told you you're crazy. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the point percentage stat in front of me. So obviously, you know, COVID is playing a role in the disparity or the disparity between games played, um, 
But yeah, these two teams are looking pretty good. And of course, Florida plays Nashville last week two times. The time they put Dreger in, they win. The time they put Bob in, they lay an egg. And of course, I lose money. You're seeing a trend here from last week. Um, yeah, but <clears throat> for Chicago, I think it's huge, right? Because they're trying to send a message to their stars like hey you know we're kind of retooling it looks like we're rebuilding we don't want to tank but we're not we know we're not like at contenders yet but this is obviously a good sign for the big guns um you know that they're making a, a good push and the you know when the young guns get healthy the, this team's only going to get better so that's a little scary uh but yeah these two guys definitely deserve some credit if you would have told me that a quarter of the way through the season, these two teams would be uh, both in the, t- in the top three in that division. I would have probably said you're nuts. So especially with Dave's out. Yeah, for sure. And their message to their star players was certainly something that was mixed at the beginning of the season going into the year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Uh, I want to talk about Austin Matthews so far, because if you guys haven't noticed, this guy's pretty good at hockey. Um, fucking nuts. Pretty much setting the league on fire right now. He's on pace to score 50 goals this season in a season with 56 games. Uh, I would say at this point, he's probably the MVP candidate that is just the clear cut favorite at this point, in my opinion. Uh, Harry, mm. you wrote a blog about this. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. I mean, I had to do a little research on the blog to get the exact stats, but. I mean, between and this is now going to turn into a Matthews versus McDavid segment, probably. But these two guys are just absolutely lighting the league on fire. Uh, Matthews has 18 goals in 18 games. So, (laughs) yeah, not bad. Uh, McDavid has 37 points in 20 games played. Uh, So, yeah, also not bad. They're putting up numbers that haven't been seen since the 1995 season with Mario Lemieux, where he just had an absurd season. I think when I did research, he had 69 goals in 70 games and averaged 2.3 points per game. So it's just like, what the fuck do you even do about that? Um, You know, McDavid has the chance to be the first player since that season to average two points per game. If he can get his average just a little bit up, which I think he can do because Matt Murray's in that division for another five games. And Austin Matthews would be the first player to be a goal per game. Basically since Mario, he had 69 and 70 so if Matthews could do, you know, 50 to 55 and 56, you're kind of right in that same breath. I don't know, man. I mean, the MVP race this year is shaping up to be one that we haven't seen in recent memory. Uh, just historic numbers, a historic run. Matthews is must-watch television. His game against the Habs the other night, it's a joke. Like, you know how Ovi has his office on the left side as the right-handed shot with the one-timer? What they do with Matthews is he's vaguely familiar with it. Yeah, he's he's the left, except it's the opposite. They've got left handed on the left side. They pull all the guys over to the strong side on the right. And then when they whip the puck back to him, he has a lane to walk in and you can't you literally can't stop it. His release, even if he doesn't walk it in. I mean, his his release is just beyond potent. It's so it's got to be infuriating for a goaltender just to. You know, and, you know, it's sort of like, I mean, the analogy you make to Ovi's thing is great because teams know it's coming. You know, they're yeah. going to try and isolate him and then feed him the puck. That's what they do with Lion A. That's what they do with Ovi. That. That's what Could they do with. Again? Shut up, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they do with any sort of big gun on the power play. But it's it's one of those things where, you know, he's going to find space. And when he has space and time to let it go, it's just a foregone conclusion of where that thing's going. 
And the other thing about what like having watched Matthews over the last like week or two alone, you can tell that the guy is holding himself to a whole nother level, like of standard out there on the ice. Um, you know, he scores, he's excited, but not too excited. You know, he's just ready to get back out there for the next shift. And anytime he makes even just a minor, uh, mistake, you can tell he's out there and he knows that he's got to be better. You can tell he's really just holding himself to a high standard out there on the ice. Um, and it's fun to watch players like that. Mac, if I made you choose between a uh, heart trophy winner, Matthews or McDavid so far, who would you choose? That's so hard. Um, no explanation, just a name right now, Matthews. Nick? Same here. I'm going to remove my bias because I'd probably say Matthews as well, but I'm going to go with McDavid. You know why Matthews is going to win it this year? Why? Plays for the Leafs. Well, <laughs> there we go. Fair point. Did, um, you see, did you see McDavid's no-look goal, by the way? Yeah, it's just. The internet would have broke if that was like, LeBron or Mahomes, you know, doing another new look, but of course, hockey don't, doesn't get don't even get me started. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, do we really have to talk about this? Okay. So the city of Pittsburgh what? declared February 20th, 2021 Sidney Crosby day because Sidney Crosby played in his 1000th NHL game. Great. I watched the video tribute. I, yes, I, Nick Manella, Washington Capitals fan and noted Pittsburgh Penguins hater watched the video tribute. I thought it was very well done. Ovi had a cameo in it. Uh, it looked like someone had a gun to the back of his head, but <laughs> <laughs> it kind of did. No, all right. All, all, jokes, right, all, jokes, as, all, uh, all jokes aside, game respect game. And we love to see that kind of thing. It's, I think it's uh, great to see that, you know, we've isolated these two superstars in our game and we've been able to watch them go back and forth for so long. We've been blessed to watch them both. Uh, Mac, uh, I was just going to say that along with them naming uh, February 20th, uh, Sidney Crosby day, I heard that they also uh, gave him a cookie too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I felt that I, I genuinely want to know how many bottles of Jurgens lotion were sold in the city of Pittsburgh and across Canada that day. A lot. Yeah. Cause you know, every like, <laughs> what about Baltimore it, at middle age one? Um, well, <laughs> depending on how much you had eaten that day, maybe two, um, every like middle age Canadian hockey dad is like sitting his son down going, you see that guy right there. You see him. He's the best. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I, what I, the the reference I was saying about Ian earlier, I think I saw either Ian or Russian Machine. Actually, I don't, I can't remember which one. They're like, it looks like Obi has a gun to his head, and I, that's where I thought that you got that from. But uh, it's no, great. It's, <clears throat> it's great to see Crosby play in his one thousandth game, and obviously Crosby has dealt with injury issues, so it, it's great to see him get to this point. Um, I think Ovi's was like two years ago, and that really just puts into perspective like how much time Crosby actually did miss. So, yeah. Um, you know, as much as the guy has lived rent free in my head and, you know, how many times I've thrown things or punched things, it's, you know, he is one of the greatest players of all time. So um, kudos to him. Yeah. All thing, all jokes aside for real. It's uh, it's definitely much like we're talking about with Matthews and McDavid and all those guys. It's uh, a pleasure to be grown up and watching hockey while these guys are playing. So um, definitely big congrats to Sid. 
Oh, thank you guys. That that makes my heart warm. Said congrats to Sid, not you. Yeah, but like it's, <laughs> it's, basically, the same it's basically the same thing, right? Oh, well, is it? Um, I'm no, his agent, basically. I, I I was thinking about this the other day. It's not just hockey, so it's like all right, hockey. The last couple of years, we've gotten you know McKinnon, Matthews, McDavid. Before that, Ovi, Sid. You know, I guess you could put guys like Stamkos in there too. Um, sort of the outside looking in. Yeah. Outside of hockey, let's look at the amount of talent we've had in pro sports in our life, like lifetimes. We've been so blessed. It's Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. I mean, LeBron James, as Kobe, much as Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, and yeah. for me, my favorite basketball player growing up, Allen Iverson, like, you know, as much as I dislike LeBron James, you have to respect the hell out of him. Right. Um, Little glimpse uh, of Barry Bonds when I was younger. Yeah. Um, I was uh, I was actually living in San Fran and got to watch Barry Bonds all the time. It was so cool, and he yeah. was just absolutely jacking balls into the bay. Much uh, lower level, but I, st- I feel like at least for Baltimore people, still worth mentioning Manny Machado. Like, yeah, Shane seriously, yeah. he's pretty sick. Lamar um, Jackson, yeah, <laughs> Chris Davis. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's definitely up there. No, we but we like, got our we got soccer, our like Messi Aubrey and Ronaldo Hull. too. Yeah, we we got our uh, our Larry Bird, Magic Johnson in the NHL for quite a long time, and I will say, and I don't want to. Uh, we're done this segment after this. I cried a little bit when Sid cried. I'll leave it mm. then. That's all right. I'll give you a pass for that one. Thank you. Uh, so moving on from uh, one Sidney Crosby lover to the network that loves to jerk him off the most. So there's a prospect that the NHL won't be on NBC next season. A lot of speculation has been going in there that there won't be a renewal of the TV rights deal. And basically the under like understood suitor there is that it would go to ESPN. Uh, if you don't know ESPN plus, which is that service that, um, psycho sports nerds pay for uh already does cover (laughs) some uh nhl games it's i don't know exactly what the numbers are but it's like a select few here or there and ra rear admiral from spit and chicklets posed this question the other day and i think it's a great one what have your thoughts been on mike tarico calling nhl games because i know he called the first outdoor game i know he did some in the playoffs this past year I personally think he's been doing a fantastic job. What have you guys thought so far? Yeah, I, I think he's been really good. Um, it's hard to replace Doc, but I will say that he definitely has not dropped the ball, and that in itself is a huge accomplishment. By the way, if you didn't get to see that Doc Emmerich documentary before the game, it's awesome. Very well done. should definitely watch it. Um, <clears throat> here's where I stand, and I, I, I saw this float around on Twitter, and I can't remember where it kind of like – was under the comments of rear ad stuff, but ideal scenario, you get a split, you get a 50, 50 ESPN and NBC kind of like the NFL has with CBS and Fox. Fox gets the NFC, CBS gets the AFC. Maybe we give ESPN the East coast or West coast and then put the other conference uh, with the other network. I think that would be a great idea. I really do like Tarico. I think NBC has done a good job in its contract with the NHL. I mean, it's been, with NBC for what, seven, eight years now after versus they switched to that. So yeah, I think they've done a good job, but I do think that if we can get Gary Thorne back on the wagon and, you know, get the, get the whole 2004 vibes coming back, I think ESPN would be enormous for growing the sport. So um, I think it will probably be a split. I don't see how the, 
I don't see how Sports Center would have enough airtime to full time do hockey while also doing baseball, while also doing basketball, while also doing college sports. I just don't see it. So that's where I stand. Yeah, I think Tariko would be good. Um, I've I've enjoyed his calls. I think that um, you know you can hear the excitement through through his calls, and I think that's a big thing for a lot of people is being able to um, feel that same excitement. Doc was really good at it. Not that many people um, are naturally good at it. I think Tariko is. Um, I still, like I said, would love to see Gary Thorne. Um, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot that could happen. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what direction it goes in. Yeah, and I don't think this is something where, like, I don't expect Tariko to leave NBC. I mean, he's got such a great position there. He does so many things. He's been involved with the Olympics. He's been involved with football. So I don't really see him moving on. My concern with the NHL going to ESPN is them just going and basically giving hockey the ESPN treatment, which in their mind is talking about it once a sports center. Yeah. And that's it for the day. They're going to slap Barry Melrose on the coverage and go, this is Fuck good. Enough. And I, I'm like, this is the worst thing that they could do to the sport right now. Well, it's also, you got the personalities with NBC that you really don't want to see go. Like I love Edzo. You can't not love Edzo. Like you don't want to see Edzo not on coverage. And now you got Boucher and you know, you've got, we used to have Milbury rest in peace. Um, he's gone, but you know, I just, I like the NBC guys, Patrick Sharp, Liam McHugh, you know, they're just part of the experience. I think they've really done a good job at building that. So that's my thoughts. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things that uh, I've had friends of mine reach out to me about is that uh, there's a lot on, you know, like you guys said, there's a lot on ESPN's plates. Like they have like what, like eight shows just dedicated to talking about the NBA on a daily basis. Um they've got baseball. I, I can't just see them cutting baseball and basketball coverage for hockey because the numbers just aren't there. They're not going to get the same reception that they do. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. That part of me wants it to stay with NBC. I honestly, I love the NBC crew for the most part. Like I think Catherine Tappan does a great job when they had Liam McHugh. I thought he did a great job as much as Keith Jones loves to shit on the caps, he knows what he's talking about. So I can tolerate <laughs> that. Edzo's great. You know, Pierre's entertaining. <laughs> you got it. Pierre's just, he's there. He's got he's there. He's, you know. No, he's got to be there. He's part yeah. of the experience. Yeah. It, Cause you it, know, as soon as you take him away, everyone's going to be like, Oh, you have to bring him back. Yeah, exactly. It's like the kid that you love, but you hate at the same time. Yeah. John Forslund's decent at calling games. You Not know. bad. Yeah. So they, they have a good team. So I, I personally, I hope it stays there for the sake of the game, because I feel like the game has done a good job gaining momentum the last 10 or so years. And Absolutely. I think they're going to lose a lot of that with a network change. Yep. I, I fully agree. I think they got good personalities and a good crew. So uh, it's Z time. Yeah. Yeah, the Anaheim Ducks have also called up <clears throat> Trevor Zegras, who may, may make his NHL debut tonight, uh, the 22nd, against the Yotes. Uh, if you haven't been paying attention, the MVP of the World Juniors has been an absolute standout for the San Diego Gulls this season. He's had four goals and five assists in eight games, and the Gulls have won six in a row. So he's off to a great start and the ducks are basically starving for any sort of offense. They're last in the league and last in offense. So 
I love this move. I people were calling for this at the beginning of the season, so I cannot wait to see what he does. Yep. Uh, I can't wait to watch the, some viral warm-up clip that comes out of him doing some absurd shit. So, yeah, good for the Ducks. Good for him. It should be exciting. Uh, I don't know what the whole COVID protocol is with him getting caught up or needing to do some type of quarantine. He They said he might play tonight, which is February 22nd. So that'll be in past tense by the time you guys are listening to this, but uh should be fun. Also, Stephen Baker, fuck you for picking him up in our fantasy league. I was just about to say, friend of the pod actually decided to uh, scoop him up. So we'll see how that goes for him. You guys saw that I ran into him in Fed Hill like two or I think like three weeks ago, right? Yeah. He was just on the street and I I was wearing an EB hat because, you know, me. And he uh, he. he walks by and he's got like these like cool like hippie glasses on and he's got the hat so it's kind of hard to tell who it is and I, you know i uh was having fun put it that way and i was like hey where'd you get that hat like this guy just walked by me on the street he turns around he goes i can't remember what he said again was having fun but something like <laughs> oh shit harrison i was like oh my god it was just the most like organic encounter made me feel kind of cool everybody was like oh shit you're kind of famous i was like yeah kind of so <laughs> there you that go. Was, that was fun. Built Love to see it. Built my ego up a little bit. That's uh, that's not just Stephen Baker. That's Stephen most listened to episode of all time of Empty Betters Baker. I was going to say he's kind of famous, not us. Yeah, he's kind seriously. Of famous. Dude, we've had guys who've played world juniors. We've had NHL network hosts. We've had media members. We've had writers. We've had all these guys. And the most listened to episode is Stephen Baker. Yep. Unreal. Local. Yeah. Unreal. And it's not a small number. It's no, it's not. So, um, well, on the topic of interview guests, I think it's time we throw it off to Danny Christo. But before we do that, Harry, you're up. Uh, I'm going to attempt to do this without reading it. So let's see if I can do it. Oh, this is good. Kyle, I'm doing this for you. Uh, Brackish life. Let's take a minute to talk about brackish life. If you're like us and grew up on the water and outdoors, then brackish life is perfect for you. They have a wide variety of gear from UV shirts to hoodies and hats. It's Real Bay Apparel made by Real Bay people. Check out www.brackish.life to check them out today. A little salty, a little fresh, Brackish Life. Wow. Uh, Didn't look. Now I'm going to look because I can't remember this part. Brackish Life has also teamed up with Rink to Reef, Chesapeake Bay to preserve the area many of us call home. Rink to Reef repurposes broken hockey sticks into oyster restoration habitats. Brackish Life donates a portion of their proceeds to Rink to Reef to further preserve the beautiful Chesapeake Bay area. Support this great cause by checking out www.brackish.life today. I thought I did a good job on the memory part, not going to lie. Phenomenal. That was was so good. Also, I'd like to point out, I think that's the coolest thing about Brackish Life is that the uh, oyster restoration habitat made of hockey sticks. That's the the sickest thing. You know who does work with that? Who? Peter Bondra. Oh, oh really? that, you know what? That makes yeah. sense. Re, uh, Ring to Reef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. I didn't know that. The more you know. Yeah. Um, Very cool. But yeah, we are going to toss it off to Mr. Christo right now. Alrighty, guys. It's now our pleasure to welcome to the Empty Betters podcast, Mr. Danny Christo. Danny, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So uh, just so everyone knows, it's about 6 p.m. where you are right now, and that is in, I believe, South Germany, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm in South Germany. I'm about uh, just 30 minutes from uh, Munich. Nice. For, uh, 
Munich's a pretty big city. So, um, yeah, we're just, just down the road from Munich. So a nice little town called Augsburg. Very cool. So uh, just, you know, like we do with a lot of our guests when we get started, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, where you come from and how you got into the game of hockey itself? Okay. Yeah. I had, uh, I kind of had an unusual path. Um, grew up, uh, was born in Minnesota. Uh, both my parents are from there. Uh, and then when we were about, I believe I was probably three or four years old. Uh, my, my dad's job actually got transferred to, uh, just outside of Indianapolis, Indiana. So, um, not a ton of people know that. So I, I grew up playing youth hockey, um, until about 14 in Indiana. And then, uh, actually my, luckily I should say my dad's uh, job got transferred back to Minnesota. And then, uh, we moved to, uh, Eden Prairie and then, uh, a couple of years, seventh, eighth and ninth grade, I played there. And then, um, got into, uh, the national team, um, for two years and then went to Omaha and then on to college. So. So did you play in the, uh, state high school hockey tournament there? No, it was funny. Uh, a lot of people from my hometown uh, give me crap. So that my senior year, they actually won it, um, which is it's kind of wild because they uh, – I mean, they definitely had some good players. Uh, Nick Luddy got Mr. Hockey that year. Then they had Kyle Rowell. They had a couple good uh, players. But they, we were probably missing, I'd say, five to six kids probably that went D1 uh, that, he, that had either left for juniors. Uh, a couple guys went to Shattuck. And a couple of kids went to private school, but um, no, I, so I, I just played my freshman year at EP. Um, I played varsity that year and then um, kind of just, you know, saw the opportunity to, to go uh, play for the U S national team for, for two seasons. So decided, uh, you know, I was, you know, thought, you know, maybe this could be a career path someday. So I decided that probably be the best run I development and, and did that. So. What was that transition? Like, you know, you're obviously, you know, a teenager at that point, And now you're going into the national development team. I mean, was that like a big adjustment for you or did you find it pretty smooth? Uh, yeah, I mean, they do a great job there. It's, uh, just based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. So, uh, went to high school at Pioneer, which is, uh, like right across the street from the big house where, uh, Michigan plays football. But, uh, yeah, like you said, we were, you know, 15, 16 going in and, uh, I had two other Minnesota kids with me, uh, Nick Pryor and Jordan Schrader. So I was obviously very close with them. I lived, lived with them my first year. Then my second year, um, ended up living with the Billet family. But, um, you know, they do, they do a great job. The Billet families um, really make you feel comfortable and, uh, you know, usually stay in touch with them. You know, I'm not as close with them, but still keep in touch with them uh, every now and then with the family I live with uh, out in Ann Arbor. So. From there, what was the uh... – you know, obviously you then move on to the, the college experience. What was the recruiting process like for you? Did you have, you know, a lot of visits where there are a lot of teams interested and, um, you know, you played at North Dakota. Was that your top choice right away? Yeah. So I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't like a typical Minnesota kid growing up where I think, uh, you know, most kids kind of have that tie that they always wanted to, to play for, for uh, University of Minnesota. So we actually had some weird uh, family connections to, uh, to North Dakota. Um, it's kind of a, if it makes sense, uh, Dave Haxtell's wife, Erin Haxtell, uh, used to be Erin O'Keefe. And uh, her uh, mom and dad, Tim, Tim played hockey as well. Um, Tim and Becky were like best friends with my parents in Bemidji. So once Erin kind of, uh, Tim and Becky live in Grand Forks. And once Erin, uh, married hack hack would have been the assistant 
um, probably when I was in seventh, seventh or eighth grade. So when we used to go off to uh, do some tournaments, you know, we played Fargo and Moorhead, stuff like that. We used to always get, uh, get like the, the cheap seat tickets way up top. And, uh, you know, I'd go see a game. And I remember probably when I was, you know, 13 or 14, I kind of, you know, got to see the locker room and go in. And, you know, kind of when you're in, at that age, you kind of, you're like, wow, really, this place is amazing. I'd love to play here. So, um, and then once, uh, once kind of the recruiting process came, um, you know, I, I kind of knew right away I wanted to go to North Dakota. Um, so I, I was pretty young. I think I committed at, at just age 15. So um, I went, I went to North Dakota. I told my parents, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I want to play here. My mom actually made me go visit Minnesota. So I went and uh, I did that visit too, but um, you know, both great, great uh, programs, but uh, my heart was always set on, uh, you know, playing it, playing at the Ralph. So. Yeah. I'm just taking a look at some of the stats there. You had a really solid campaign all four years. Was there one specific season that kind of stuck out to you or, um, you know, any line mates that you were like, wow, this, this really clicked this season more so than the others. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, luckily, you know, playing at a, a program like North Dakota, you're always playing, uh, you know, with good players and, uh, all four of my years, we, we had very strong teams, which is luckily, but, um, you know, I, I basically played all four years. I, I basically played on a line with, uh, Corbin Knight with the exception of my sophomore year. I think I maybe played half the games with Corbin and then, um, you know, Brock Nelson was just a freshman, but obviously he's uh, he's a hell of a player. So he was uh, just a little skinny kid coming out of uh, out of war at the time. And then uh, when we came back from my junior year, you know, I think Nelson probably put on 10 to 15 pounds that, that offseason. And that kind of took off uh, his career. He came back his sophomore season and played really well. And he kind of just took off from there. But uh, yeah, I was I was lucky enough to, to play with good players every year. And uh, yeah, I think it might have been only 15 games I didn't play by Corbin's side, who was just a really responsible two-way center, which uh, made the game very easy for me. So, Were there any specific teams that you guys played against um, any of the years that you were there that you particularly kind of looked forward to, like a big rivalry or um, games that seem to always be close ones? Yeah, I think that's uh, like the beauty of obviously playing the WCHA is so fun with uh, – you know, just the rivalries, which, you know, I, I wish they still had. And I know the, the NCHC has done a good job of, of carrying some of those rivalries over. But I think, obviously, when, when you look at playing Minnesota, um, I was lucky lucky enough. I think my freshman year played seven times. Uh, sophomore year, I think we only played maybe four. And then six my junior year and four my senior year. So I think those games were obviously a uh, circle on the calendar. But uh I think kind of just with the uh, the history of Dean Blaze at, at North Dakota and then him uh, being the head coach in Nebraska Omaha, we always had some really fun games with them. And uh, I mean, anytime, you know, it's just a short bus right away. St. Cloud was fun. Uh, Duluth was always fun as well. So, uh, but I would say Minnesota's for sure, probably our top rival, but uh, those other schools were also fun to play against. I think, you know, it's sort of understood that North Dakota probably has one of, if not the best, you know, atmospheres for a college hockey game. Um, for a lot of us here on the East Coast, you know, with the exception of like a BUBC, you probably don't get that. What was that like just to, you know, be in those games with that crowd and that atmosphere in that building? Yeah, it was incredible. I think uh, just from the, from the first game you play, you know, obviously as a freshman to – 
you know, like I said, played four years. So every single game is just sold out crowd. I think it's pretty easy to say they probably have the best fans in college. So, um, you know, I think some days, even when you're, you know, maybe you're a little sick or, you know, you're hurt, you're pretty banged up playing. But just when you walk into the rink and you go off for warm-ups and you see, you know, just in warm-ups, probably 8,000 fans already sitting in there, it's it's pretty easy to uh, to get fired up. And then, you know, uh, the, student, the student session there is like first come, first serve. So, um, you know, we'd play Minnesota or we'd play, you know, a big game and it'd be minus 20 in Grand Forks. And we'd be walking in at you know, 9.30, 10 a.m. And the student section would be be lined up outside already waiting just to get in. So that that made it uh, pretty special just uh, knowing the support that the community had behind you and, um, you know, just how passionate they were with their hockey. It made it always very, very fun to go to the rink. I don't want to fast forward through your college career too quick because I think we could probably spend, you know, quite a bit of time <laughs> on that. But uh you were drafted 56 overall by the Montreal Canadiens in 2008. You know, talk, probably the most storied franchise in the league. So you want to talk about that experience and just how that all went down? Yeah, it was cool. Uh, the draft was in uh, Ottawa that year. And um, I was slotted somewhere to go, you know, mid-second round, whatnot. So I, I actually ended up going with my dad. And, uh, you know, it would have been nice to go the first day. But second day, um, Montreal actually didn't have a first-round pick that year. So I was their, their first draft pick, which was – That's awesome. Fun because, uh, you know, you get the, a lot of the interviews and a lot of the media attention. And, um, yeah, just the development camps I went to there and everything was, was great. And then, um, you know, it was pretty shortly after my senior year, I played just a couple games. And I uh, was lucky enough to go to world championships that year. And then um, that summer I was actually traded to New York. So I was basically, I don't know, I think I maybe played, you know, six, seven games maybe and with uh, their, their farm team in uh, Hamilton. And then that summer I was traded, but uh, every summer, I think probably f- five, six times I was out in Montreal, just always was treated, uh, you know, first class by the organization. And it's uh, like you said, a historic franchise. So it was cool just to see, uh, you know, all the, uh, you know, the old names in the building, uh, you know, Guy Carboneau's and uh, Maurice Rocket Shards and stuff like that. So it, it was a pretty special moment. So who is the GM at that time? I'm trying to remember. It was Mark Bergman just got hired. He just got, okay. I didn't know if that was the season he got brought on board or not. Did you get to so, meet him? Uh, I did. Yeah. It was kind of a unique situation. Um, actually, after my junior year, I was, you know, I was 80, 85% sure I was probably going to turn pro. Um, and then basically right after we lost out that year, um, Montreal had fired their head coach and fired their GM. So I was kind of in a limbo. I don't know, maybe it was six weeks there. I was still at school and, uh, you know, kind of tried to decide with my agent and whatnot, what to do. And, um, it kind of just came to the point where they still didn't have a GM and, um, uh, Dave Haxall kind of had to know if I was coming back to school or not. And I just thought, you know, well, you know, just with the, the circumstances are not going to hurt me to go back to, to play one more year. So I ended up going back and uh, I don't, I don't think Montreal was extremely happy that it, that I went back for my senior year. I think they wanted me to turn pro if that I was ready, but um, it's a choice that I would always stick behind. I think uh, anytime you're playing, you know, college at, at North Dakota and playing with your best friends for one more year is never going to hurt. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I didn't know the extent of what your interaction was, but kind of hear these stories that he's a jokester, he's kind of a clown. Did you ever get that impression? Yeah, I mean, obviously he was known as that as a player. And then, um, 
like, so, like I said, I was only with him for just the one year. It was kind of short stint for me, but um, I think at that time when they were trying to give me the term pro, it was pretty serious. And, you know, they were really, really pushing me that summer, but I kind of had to stick to my word. And I gave my teammates my word that I was going to go back for my senior year and uh, gave my coaches. So I wanted to honor that. Um, so I ended up going back and, um, but, you know, he's done a great job with that organization. I think they're one of the up and coming teams. It's going to be really strong here the next couple of years with the, just they've had a pretty good start here just with the, uh, the offseason moves they made. So he's done a great job in Montreal. Going backwards a little bit. Uh, one of the things, you know, that jumped out to me and I think one of the, you know, my first exposure to your game was uh, that 2010 world juniors tournament. Uh, what was that experience like? I mean, yourself included the names on there, the talent that that team had, but I mean, the talent of the opposition that you guys had to go up against. I mean, what was that whole process like for you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. So I was lucky. I played two years. My first year, uh, was kind of on the fourth line. Didn't really play much. I was uh, an underager that, that year was in Ottawa and we ended up uh, getting fifth place. But I think just going through that experience the first year and kind of being a role guy and, uh, you know, seeing just how fun the tournament was in Canada. I think coming back from my second year, um, you know, and knowing I was going to have a big role on the team and um, being back in Canada again, like, uh, you know, once you, you've been to a tournament, like obviously your, your goal is, is to win a medal, but I, we really wanted to win a gold there. And um, it was a fun experience. We had a ton of Minnesota kids that I grew up with. I don't know if it was, I think it was maybe six, six, seven guys that I probably had known firsthand, uh, I grew up playing youth hockey with and stuff like that. And um, yeah, we had set a really good team. We had, uh, you know, I think if you look on paper, uh, you know, Sweden and Canada probably had better teams, but I think our, our team chemistry um, was kind of through the roof that year. We kind of had guys that just found roles and, you know, like you look at a guy like Jake Gardner, that was, you know, probably our fifth or sixth D man that didn't really play power play at that tournament. And, you know, and now he's running power plays in the NHL, but he, he just took a role and, and did his job and, we just had some, we had, you know, good chemistry up front with uh, some good lines and, you know, kind of just the stars aligned and uh, we ended up winning the gold medal in overtime versus, uh, versus Canada, which was probably one of the more exciting uh, world junior games. I, I think uh, most people would say six to five uh, overtime game in Canada. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. My parents were there and um, it was an experience I'll, I'll never forget. You speak of defensemen and then you talk about the overtime goal before where these two start blushing, you can probably tell they're Caps fans by the backgrounds. Um, what what was that, like, moment? Like, you know, jump. were you on the ice when it happened? Did you jump off the bench? Were people, like, I was, like uh, on I each was other? On I was on the bench. I started overtime that game, but it was uh, – it was pretty uh, – yeah, it was, it was a whirlwind for sure because we we had played Canada on New Year's, and uh, we had a we had a two-goal lead with about four minutes to go and ended up – giving up that two goal lead. I think Petrangelo scored and somebody else scored. And then we ended up losing in a shootout on new year's. And then, uh, you know, fast forward back to the gold medal game and it's five, three again with a couple minutes to go. And uh, we took a penalty and then everybody scored and you could kind of feel the ice kind of, you know, start sinking our way. They were really coming. And uh, you know, they had, you know, 15,000 Canadian fans in that, in that tiny packed rank that seemed like it was 80,000 fans, but um, they ended up tying it up and, it was pretty quiet in the, in the intermission. I'm not going to lie. It was almost like, did we really just give up a two goal lead again? Like, are we, are we going to blow this? And 
Um, I remember Dean Blaze came in. He was our head coach and uh, was pretty quiet in the locker room before going out. He just came in with a big smile on his face, and he's like, what are you guys so quiet for? He's like, we're playing Canada and Canada for a gold medal. He's like, in overtime, like, what more could you guys have wanted? And I think that kind of calmed the guys down a little bit. And, um, you know, it's overtime, four and four. There's a lot of open ice. And, uh, you know, if, if you go back and watch that, it's basically almost a three on two for Canada. And we ended up getting a big save by our goalie and right turned back right down the other way for a three on one. And uh, Car Carlson had a no luck snapper. And uh, that, that was all she wrote. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was an incredible moment. I think, you know, for us as fans, you know, watching that, that was electric as Caps fans. I remember him getting called up not too long after that. And then um, that video came out of the chant in the locker room, which I believe was spearheaded by you. It was, yeah. Which out of all the ones that we've seen come out of the locker room, I think the three of us agree that's still by far and away the best one. So, so um, cool. It was so cool just, you know, how excited you guys were and in this like, you know, tiny little locker room. Um, and that was awesome. That was so cool to see. Was it as awesome for you guys? Yeah, it was. Uh, <clears throat> so actually that chant comes from the national team for the guys that were out in Ann Arbor. And uh, when, when you get there, like, you know, we're playing in the junior leagues. We're playing. They're now in the USHL, obviously, but we were in the NAHL. But, uh, you know, fighting is allowed and we were just, you know, 15, 16 years old. So we had this boxing coach. Um, we would usually do heavyweights three, four times a week. And then especially your first year, we would have boxing twice a week. And it was just, uh, I think it was a good source of, um, you know, obviously conditioning and stuff like that, but just, uh, we also had to learn to protect ourselves. So we would kind of go on these like ar army style, uh, you know, runs, I would say. And, uh, Kirk was his name. He was the leader and he, he was the one that started that chant. So it kind of just, uh, you know, stuck, stuck with us. We used to do it there after the big wins. And then uh, kind of when we won the gold medal there, it was, I was, I was just like, oh, boys, we got to do it now. And everyone's like, yeah, for sure we're doing it. So um, <laughs> it was kind of unfortunate for me. I got drug tested um, right after the game. So once you get drug tested, you basically have five minutes, take your gear off, and then you got to go right to the, the drug station. So I, I basically – got in the locker room. I celebrated with the boys for a couple of minutes, did the chant. And then I was right in the drug testing room, like trying to force out a pee as quick as I could, just so I could get <laughs> in the locker room. And, but I had so much adrenaline, obviously after the game, you're a little dehydrated. So I missed about 45 minutes of the celebration, but um, oh my God, it was all right. We had a good night that night and uh, the boys, uh, we had some fun. So. That's electric. Yeah. That clip is just all time. The, the, the comments on the YouTube video are also awesome i'm sure you've probably seen them by now but yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's awesome um so i kind of want to skip forward a little bit so you have a small stint in hamilton and then you move over to hartford and you had two really solid seasons there you had 20 goals in both of those uh talk about your experience there kind of walk us through like the timeline of your career starting there yeah it was, it was good um came in and had a good uh first year and um you know, like going to another uh, original six team, um, Rangers are pretty strong those two years I was there. And uh, I thought I definitely played well enough to maybe get some games or get a call up. But, uh, you know, at the time, um, you know, they had Rick Nash and uh, St. Louis Zuccarello on the right wing, which was, you know, kind of tough timing for me. But um, they kind of told me, like, you're, you're never going to come up here and you're not going to play on the fourth line. You know, we see you as like power play 
uh, kind of a top six, top nine forward. So, uh, you know, they kind of just wanted me to, to go down to Hartford and play well. And I think it was good for my development for, for two years to, uh, you know, really get some good, good quality minutes in and playing a ton down there. And, um, uh, unfortunately didn't get the call up or whatnot, but I enjoyed my time there for, for the two seasons I was there. Yeah. I mean, those names you just listed, that's very recognizable names. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to compete with that. And then you move uh-huh. over to the Chicago wolves again, your first season there, put up another 25 goal campaign. Uh, what, what was that whole situation like? Yeah. Chicago was great. It was a great spot in the American league. And, um, my first year was actually was a ton of fun. We had uh, Jordan Schmaltz was drafted by St. Louis. Um, so he was a first round pick, a guy that I played with at school. And then also uh, Evan Trump was playing in Chicago that year too. So we had three uh, North Dakota guys living together, uh, playing on an American League team, which is pretty rare to have two of your college buddies. Uh, some of my closest friends still to this day. Uh, so that year was a ton of fun. We had some great groups of guys. Um, Jordan Bennington was there uh, kind of, took him a while, five, six years in the American league. And now he's panned out and has won a Stanley cup, but it was, uh, it was a ton of fun playing in Chicago and, um, you know, went back for my second season there and we had some new management, new coaches and, uh, ended up getting traded, uh, to, to Wilkes-Barre and, uh, kind of the only year that I would say I was kind of really struggling to score was my, my last year and, uh, kind of bounced around, got traded a couple of times. And then, uh, after that kind of just, you know, thought, uh, I was not getting sick of the American league. I think I just wanted to change. So, um, no, decided, decided after that summer to, to come over and try Europe. So. So you do come over and that's in, uh, Riga, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, correct. So I've heard that's just like an unbelievably beautiful city. Is that true? Yeah, it's, it's a great city. It's, uh, especially for the Russian league, the Russian league's got some, got some, some different <laughs> cities for sure but uh, <laughs> it's a great spot for sure for a person coming over for their first year over there um it's right on the baltic sea and um for the most part i would say anyone 30 35 and under can speak uh you know a decent amount of english so it was nice uh that year just to to get accustomed of playing in europe and whatnot and um yeah it was, it was a great experience playing in russia that year and um i think after you know, that, you know, you can kind of go anywhere in Europe and it's, it's easier after playing, you know, in a good spot and playing in the Russian league, it's kind of all downhill from there. So. Are there any, like, you know, it's the Russian league. So I'm assuming there's, there's quite a few stories you could tell. Are there any, like, did you have that? Like, Oh my God, this is so I'm in Russia moments or. Yeah. So like, uh, obviously this year I played in Russia as well, but, uh, yeah, there's been some crazy stories, um, in that league, I think just a couple, I, I'll say, uh, Nikolai Zherdev, um, yeah, he, Blue he, Jackets guy. he was, yeah, he was a fourth overall pick. So he was on my team in Riga and we were playing, I believe in Dinamo, Dinamo Moscow, which is uh, one of the teams in the Moscow region. And Z, Z gets blown up in the first period and throws his shoulder out. And he was obviously one of the more skilled guys I've ever played with. And so he's done for the game whatnot and uh we're going out for the second i see z's in a sling like this and he, he's got you know basically separated shoulder and um i remember the game it must have been like a tuesday or wednesday the game wasn't really that packed and it's a pretty big rink so you could see where the scratches and i could see z 
across the rink from us. And then we ended up scoring late with about three minutes to go, I think to tie it up one, one. And then, you know, no one scored. And then I see the, the, the Zamboni comes out for before overtime. And I, I see him start doing the laps and I look across and I see Z just sprint from across the rink. And I'm like, what is he doing? And so we go to overtime and sure enough, like no one scores, no T and then, you know, we're getting ready to go to the shootout and then Z's back on the bench. <laughs> Gets fully dressed <laughs> the shootout. And basically this guy can't even, he can't even like raise his arm, but his hands are so nasty. He comes back out. So it's five shooters in that league. He go, he goes this first time he scores. And then after five shooters, you can go back through and use the same shooter. And sure enough, like our coach is laughing. Like the guy got all the way dressed. You got to put him in, right? <laughs> so he goes the first time scores and the second time he's got a score for us to keep going. He comes down and just like undresses the goalie and like basically has to, has to raise it like this much. And he just shoots it right on the ice, right into the pad. So we, we ended up losing, but basically if we, if we had a normal shoulder, he would have just flicked it in an open net, but it was a pretty funny story to laugh at. Like, I don't think in the NHL, you're going to see a guy get blown up in the first period, be in his suit and come third period. If there's, Going to OT, he gets fully dressed back again. <laughs> uh, comes back right for the shootout. Yeah, that was one. And then um, we had one, actually. Uh, I, won't, I won't say the name because I don't want to sue the kid. But um, we were playing in uh, Haberoffs, which is about a 14-hour flight. And um, so you fl- we're, after the game, usually you fly. You got to fly from Haberoffs to Nova Siberia, which is about six hours stop refuel the plane and then it's like another five six hours home so you're you're on the plane for a good you know 13 14 hours i remember we got in the plane and like everyone's got their wine and, and whiskey whatnot for for the ride home and i look at my buddy and i'm like are you gonna are you gonna start drinking right now we got 13 hours on this bird and I, i'm like i think i'm gonna wait till nova siberia's for sure i'm like still got six hours after that so we get on the plane and some of the Russians are just hammering the vodka right away. <laughs> we had a security guard that traveled with us all the time. And we got, we got like three and a half hours away still. And this guy, your team had so much to drink. He thought we were there and he, he's got his bag and he's trying to walk to the front, get off the plane. Oh my God. So sure enough, like the security guards like in his face and like, they're about to fight. And then like next thing you know, it's like Wolf of Wall Street. Like this guy's like legit taped down. He's got like this. <laughs> They got the seatbelt on him, and he's like strapped in a seat like this because he's had so much to drink. And luckily, he fell asleep, so like the last three hours, he's passed out. But he like legit woke up and had no clue like why he was strapped to the seat or anything. But it was Holy it was pretty shit. funny to see. Yeah, that's literally like right out of the movie when he trips on ludes. Yeah, stuff. yeah, it was it was <laughs> hilarious, and yeah, I mean your your body at that point, fourteen hour flight. I think it was seven eight hour time change. It body has no clue what's going on so i think yeah. 13 hours of drinking was a little bit excessive but yeah it was uh it was a good story but nonetheless i want to go back to one of the guys that you mentioned in bennington you hear a lot of stories in the media about you know how he's i don't want to use the word cocky but they say he's got this like swagger to him you know that's kind of what his like attitude is did you get that impression when you played with him was he always as calm and cool as collected as he is now i think uh I think as a goalie, it's obviously a different position. Um, yeah. I think you got to be a little 
I don't know if I'd say mentally like messed up, but no, you, you know, can say that. Definitely <laughs> one of those guys, uh, you know, in practice at the end or whatever, if you're doing little scoring drills and stuff, like if you're scoring him, Benner will be like, you know, fuck, let's go again here. You know, like he had that, he had that drive and passion where um, I think he, he gets the most out of himself by just his compete level. And, um, you know, like, you know, I have so many people said, like he played five, six years in the American league and, you know, he was always a, a really good goalie that I thought. And um, you look back at that playoff run that he had and, you know, kind of, I just remember, and, um, you know, I'm still pretty close to them, but just, uh, you know, I remember reporters asking him all like, you know, you got lit up last game, blah, blah. And he was like, Oh, like, do I look nervous? And like, just talking to Benner and he'd just be like, man, like played six years in the American league. Like I'm not even supposed to be here right now. You know, like he just kind of had that mindset, like, you know what, I'm just going to go out there and, you know, do my job and save the puck and, you know, hopefully everything else will take care of itself. And he's kind of, I thought it was pretty cool uh, after that year. And he took that two year kind of bridge deal and kind of, they asked, you know, why, why didn't he ask for more money? And he's like, well, I, I, I played one year in the league. Like I, I want to go up and have another good two years, which he's done. And uh, like his contract's up this summer. So it looks like he's probably going to sign a good six, seven year ticket now. Uh, but I just thought that was kind of cool. He's always uh, kind of been a guy that it didn't come easy for him and he kind of grinded through and uh, really proved everyone wrong. So I think uh, hats off to him for that. And I got one other question about perhaps a former player, and I should know this because I'm the Penguins fan on the podcast, but was the year that you were in Wilkes-Barre, the year Gensel got the call up? I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, so Gensel, um, yeah, Gensel and I played on the same line for, I don't know, a couple – maybe six weeks before he got called up, which was hilarious too. Cause I was, you know, ha- thrilled to play with him just with the, the year he was having. And uh, it was like everything Gensy touched that year, just like kind of turned to gold. And um, I don't know what it was, but like we had some, like one month, like Gensel got player of the month. He had like 18 points. Like I'm on his line with him. I'm on his power play. And I'm like, man, I got four points. I just, I just <laughs> couldn't find the back of the net that year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Gensey was, uh, you know, he kind of came down to the American league, dominated and got called up there and never looked back. And, uh, it was fun playing with him. Cause I'm, I'm good buddies with his older brother, Gabe, mm-hmm. um, Gabe's one year older than me. And then Jake's a couple of years younger. So, um, it was fun to play with him and see where his career has gone from there. So. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about kind of your playing style, your preferences and stuff like that. Um, you know, you mentioned before you're a right winger. Typically, have you always leaned to the right side or do you ever play center or left wing at all? Um, I'd say for the most part, I've been uh, always on the wing. Um, back home, uh, especially on the wing, uh, right side usually. Uh, it's different in Europe, like guys you can you see, especially it looks like you're a big Cavs fan, but a lot of those, those Russians like to play their offside, like Ovechkin and stuff like that. So um, in, in the Russian league, I've played left wing a little bit, which I think on the, on the bigger rink is uh, a little bit different. You have a little more time and space with the puck. So it's a little bit easier playing your off wing, I think. And, uh, you know, those guys grew up playing it. So I think uh, the transition for them is easier when they go over. But um, I think it kind of just depends. There's pros and cons of playing, you know, the right side and the left, I think. Uh, I think like, you know, playing the right wing, probably the defensive zone is a little bit easier just for breakout passes. And, uh, you know, when you're getting rim pucks, you're on your forehand, then let alone on your backhand. But I think uh, you just see some of those European players, how much, you know, space and, and stuff they they create with coming on their off wing with, uh, you know, cutting across the middle and 
you know, maybe making a drop pass, curling up and you're on your forehand or, or cut to the middle and shooting. So I think it definitely uh, has its pros and cons uh, for, for both. So. And then uh, I'm curious too, what kind of player do you see yourself as? And like, what kind of games are, are the type of games that you feel most comfortable in? Are you a guy that likes to kind of spread out, as you mentioned on that bigger ice and make plays, or are you kind of more of a fan of the, um, you know, taking out the trash in front of the net, more of a finisher type guy? Yeah, I would say uh, kind of a mix. You know, I've tried to be played pretty physical my entire career. I think um, I would definitely put myself more as like a, a skill player for sure. And, um, you know, like to make plays, like the open open ice. And, uh, you know, when you give skill guys uh, some time and space, they're obviously going to make plays. But um, I, I like to not just uh, focus my game uh, – just on that part, I think, uh, you know, not going into every game, you're not going to just have it. You're not going to be feeling it every single night. So to have that kind of, you know, back part of your game where you can still go in the corners and try to win pucks and, uh, you know, battle along the walls and get pucks out, I think uh, goes a long way, which I think I, I started to learn more as my career uh, got uh, longer. And as I, I've, I've played, I think this is my, my eighth season pro now. Um, I think I've gotten a lot better with that. It was something I wish I – would have learned a little bit younger, but um, yeah, that's for the most part, I think would, would qualify my game. And then more of just kind of a uh, lighter fun question. Uh, you've worn a lot of different numbers uh, over the years. I'm curious, you know, is there one number that's always been like your favorite that you try to get on a team or uh, I know a lot of guys sort of don't care about what number they they wear, but a lot of guys care a whole lot. So yeah. curious if you fall where you fall on that spectrum. Yeah, I think uh, seven's probably for sure my favorite number. Um, just wearing it for four years of college and uh, was such a good number to me. And uh, Oshie was kind of my uh, my idol growing up. So he wore seven at North Dakota and then I wore it. So we kind of shared that bond together. And um, once I turned pro, it was kind of like, I kind of wanted to just leave it at that. You know, um, I thought it was just a really good college number for me. And I kind of just, you know, it was the start of a new chapter. So um, since pro, you know, I've worn 29, uh, a couple of years. And then, um, in Europe, they, they tend to wear a little bit higher numbers. So I kind of, kind of mixed between seven and 29 and went to 79. So I've worn 79 for, for three numbers over here and 29 for one. So kind of a mixture between college and, and, and the 29. So. Sure. Uh, you also played in Sweden your year after you played in Riga and then, uh, in Switzerland and then in, you know, Kunlun, which is in China, and now you're in Germany. Do you have, you know, has one of those cities stood out or one of those locations, one of those teams stood out has been your favorite so far? Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, every experience has been great for me so far. Uh, Switzerland is just a, it's an incredible country. Um, I was about 30 minutes from Zurich. Um, wow. And we, li we lived, uh, I lived on Lake Zurich basically. So my apartment overlooked Lake Zurich and, um, you know, Switzerland has some pretty mild winters, which is nice. So I, for the most part, it's always sunny there. I'd wake up and I was about a 10 minute bike ride to the rig. So I, I would throw on the headphones, get on my bike. I would bike past, uh, you know, Lake Zurich with the Alps in the background every day. So it's uh, pretty easy to go to the rink with a smile on your face. And uh, that was pretty cool. And then obviously this year in, in Kunlin, we were in, uh, we were based out of Moscow, actually. Uh, just with the Corona, we were in Moscow for the whole year. So uh, just living in Moscow for, you know, you know, a couple months. I think not very many people get to say they live in Moscow, Russia and um, just experiencing that. And, you know, I was you know 15 minutes from the red square, 15 minute train ride. So wow. just 
taking the, the train in and uh, going to Red Square, you know, every other day for lunch and stuff like that what was really cool. So it's uh, I, I've been lucky enough to play in some really cool places throughout my career. Has there been like a difficulty adjusting to the language for any of them? Or is it like a lot of the people where you're going are English speaking? Yeah, I think uh, obviously Russia is a little more, um, not a ton of people are going to, are going to speak English. Obviously Moscow is a little bit more just because of, uh, you know, the tourist factor in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, like in, in Switzerland, like it's weird because not a lot of, a lot of people are like, what language do they speak there? Because one part of the country, they speak Italian, uh, the middle part, they speak Swiss German. And then, you know, they, they go, you go down some, some places are speaking French. So, um, I learned a little Swiss German, Swiss German was tough for me. Uh, I learned actually a little more Russian, um, just because sometimes you kind of have to know, um, you know, get into a cab in, in Moscow, especially you, you kind of want to want to be speaking Russian. You want to be speaking English all the time. So uh, Russia was a little bit easier for me to pick up. Uh, my German is not not so good. So uh, <laughs> I got some time to kill right now. So I've been working on it a little bit. But uh, for the most part, uh, especially the younger guys can always speak uh, English in the locker room. But um, like he's like my first year in Riga, like my head coach could barely speak English. So, you know, he would come in and he would do the whole meeting in Russian and whatnot. And then um, I, I had a, I had a Russian t- uh, line mate that year that basically would just translate it for me. So he would, once the coach would leave the room, he would, uh, he, w- he would leave and then he would, you know, basically just translate, okay, we're doing this for this period. We're going to do this uh, system and whatnot. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I got one last question for you. Are there any other players in the Russian league other than Jiradev that, you know, might've played in the NHL. That would be a recognizable name for some people. Like was Kovalchuk over there or not, not at that time. Kovalchuk was my first year, like Kovalchuk, Datsuk. They had some, <laughs> some big, big name guys. Um, I think there's so many good Russian players in that league that could be playing um, in the NHL, but just with, uh, you know, some of those guys are just, they're just homebodies, you know, and mm-hmm. um, that, that league play, uh, pays really well. So, um, you know, some guys go to that league and they're making more money than they would in the NHL. Um, so, like, I mean, 13% tax in Russia. So, some of those guys that are on the, the big teams, they're signing big tickets. And then, uh, you know, with the playoff bonuses and stuff like that, it's all about winning in that league. So, um, I'm trying to think. Kovalchuk was up there. Um, yeah, Jaredev was good. Uh, Datsuk's still playing in the league over there. Yeah. Um, but there's been some – yeah, there's some. There are a lot of good Russian players in that league, so – Awesome. How's the, how's your club looking so far this season? Yeah. So it was kind of weird because I was in Coonland to start. And then um, we had said that we had an awful start. We like, we had lost about 12 or 13 in a row. So we ended up uh, like almost 10 of us ended up leaving and uh, kind of just going on other clubs. It was kind of just a tough year, obviously with Corona for every league, but um, I came over and I think, uh, you know, we were like zero and five or something, but we they ended up signing another kid and uh, Spencer Abbott that played at Maine. And uh, since I've been here, we, we've played well, and uh, we're in a playoff spot right now. So I think we've got fourteen. I think maybe around twenty games to go, and then playoffs. But um, yeah, it's just been a really weird year. Obviously, no fans, and um, you know, depending on where you are, like Russia was pretty wide open. The restaurants and uh, you know bars and stuff were still open, so I could still go for dinners. But here it's it's all takeout. So I basically go to the rink and, um, you know, after the rink, I I'll go pick up food, but it's basically straight home. And, you know, technically you're not supposed to, uh, 
get together, get together with more than one other person from a different household. So we do our best, uh, trying to hang out with the guys in the locker room as much as we can and, uh, stuff like that. But uh, it'll be nice once this Corona ends to finally, uh, experience that side of it again. What's the German league like in terms of style of play? Yeah, it's, it's different. I think once you go league to league, like I think the Russian league is probably the most skilled, um, probably the most, uh, defensive, I would say too. Um, on the big sheet, there's just not a lot of mistakes. It's, it's hard to get to the net. And, um, then you go, you know, Switzerland's kind of more run and gun. I would say it's a lot of skating and, um, you know, basically I, you know, a lot of, a lot of skating, a lot of, um, odd man rushes, you know, a lot, a lot of offense. And I think Germany's kind of like a mixture. I would say it's a little more North Americanized. You can have nine, nine North Americans per team that can play. Um, so it's a little more physical than I would say Russia and it's a little more physical in Switzerland. Um, but it's also, you get that, you get that European feel as well. So it's kind of, a, I'd say Germany's for sure the closest league I've played in that's comparable to back home. So. Interesting. Yeah. You guys, uh, got any more questions? I know we've kind of kept you for close to 45 now and I don't want to take up too much of your time. I, I'm all set. Mac. Yeah, I think I'm all I'm all good. Thanks so much, Danny. This was fun. Yeah, thank yeah. you. This is awesome. For sure. And uh, yeah, you guys ever uh, need some other guys or need me back on here, just just give me a shout and I'll be able to help you guys out. So, For sure. Absolutely. And good luck the rest of the season. We'll be uh, tuning in. Okay. All right. Ciao, guys. Big thanks to Danny for chatting with us. Such a fun interview. Such a cool guy. And uh, I mean, the stories he had are just incredible. It's you know, unbelievable experiences at North Dakota. And then obviously we all remember that, uh, that world junior game with uh, Carlson scoring in overtime. And then Danny, obviously being the voice of the team USA victory chant is like the, and that's the best one out of all the ones that I've seen from the locker room. It's still the one from 2010 that I go back to uh, whenever I'm bored, but yeah. uh, Huge thanks to him again. Yeah, absolutely. We do really appreciate it. And that clip is one of my all-time favorites. So definitely. Uh, So let's get into our picks for this episode. But before we do that, we just want to let everyone know that these picks are brought to you by the Maryland Mortgage Wiz. Are you planning on buying your first home this year? Get pre-approved and explore all financing options with Dave Fritz, the Mortgage Wiz. Interest rates are at historic lows and down payment assistance programs are available. Stop running and put your money in a place you can call home. Follow Dave on Instagram at Maryland underscore mortgage underscore whiz for more information. Dave is licensed in Maryland, Delaware, and Florida. Equal housing lender, NMLS number 3094. Thank you, Dave. We appreciate it. Hopefully all these picks will uh, you know, give people a little more down payment money. So that's the best way to look at it. Uh, last week, not a great week collectively. Uh, four and five as a crew. We got to be better. We will be better. Uh I also just lost an absurd amount of bets that were off the grid from my published picks. So that's always fun. Uh, Let's move on to this week. Shall we Nick? Let's let you start. I'd just like to mention before we do this week, last week I swept the board. Well, okay. In the cats game. So So you went two and one on your published picks and then on your Panthers Red Wings game number one of last week, you had over money line, puck line, and first period over. Yeah, and you wiped the table clean. So and that was you. it for me for the week. I was like, I'm done after this. 
Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. We'll be tweet. We'll be tweeting more about our picks. Uh, Mac, your boy, Bob or Bobby. I always say, I always add E at the end of names. I have yeah. apologized to him. That's all good. That's Bobo. Yeah. Shout out to Bobo. Sorry if you lost money on uh, behalf of EB this week, we'll get you back this week. And the uh, long-term investment. Yeah. There, there you go. Yeah. Bob, I'll tell you what, to prove that you're listening to this episode, if you're listening, we're not going to tell you, you tweet at the EB account and say, I want my pick for this week. Say that exact phrase. I'll give you 10 bucks and you can gamble with that. How about that? Wow. There you go. Hey, fun fact about uh, Bobo. He's the one that scored the uh, game winning goal with, I believe, 19 seconds left uh, my senior year to beat Spalding in the championship. So uh, nice. he's, he's the reason that I have a gold jacket, low key. Love that shit. Good stuff. All righty. To picks for this week, I'm going to start off with my puck line. I have the Golden Knights puck line in San Jose. That's pretty self-explanatory right there. That's a good hockey team against a not good hockey team. For my money line, I'm going to take the Devils. I think they've been playing some really, really good hockey as of late. Their one kryptonite, I would say, is their penalty kill. They are dead last in the league on the PK. So if they stay out of the box on the road against the Sabres, I think they can get the job done. I don't think the Sabres have been good at all this season. They were decent at the beginning at best, and then just sort of fell off the face of the earth. So I'm going to take the Devils on the money line on Thursday as well. All of my picks are on Thursday. And then I'm going to take the Stars Panthers over that day as well. Nice. I like that. Um, I'll go next. So for my picks, I am going to do the blues puck line over the Kings on Wednesday, February 24th. I know the Kings have been playing some better hockey lately, but I think the blues are the superior team. I like the campaign that they've put together so far this season. Um, you know, they're sitting third in the division right now. I'm going to rock with the blues. And I think on the road, you're going to get a nice, nice little ROI on that. I could see that being a nice little plus one eighty, plus one ninety dog somewhere in that range. So we'll see um, money line. I'm going to actually steal Nick's puck line from my money line. I'm going to take the golden Knights over the sharks on Thursday, February 25th. The rivals. There's a lot of history. I'm a little hesitant to go puck line, but what I will say is I will probably take this money line in regulation to get the price down a little bit. I would imagine they'll be in the plus 200 range. You do it in regulation. You can probably get it at minus 160. So that's where I'm uh, probably, that's probably my strategy for that game to, to get a better ROI. And then the over under the game of the week, this is just going to be, you know, amazing. Get your popcorn ready. Maple Leafs versus Oilers Saturday night hockey. Saturday night hockey in Canada is McDavid Matthews. It's going to be all the hype. I'm going to hammer the over. Uh, that's on February. That's on February 27th. This coming Saturday. Mac. Yeah. I like that over pick a lot um, for my picks this week. I'm going to start out with the flyers puck line over the Rangers. Um, I expect, I believe this is their, their very next game. Um, and they're, their first game after the Tahoe game, I'd expect them to be ready to get back in the win column after that crushing loss to Boston outside. Um, and I think especially with the Rangers losing Panarin, there's a lot of kind of shuffling of lines probably going around. Um, I think the Flyers come out with a big statement win, maybe win like four to one or something like that um, over the Rangers. That's uh, on February 24th, uh, Wednesday. Then uh, for my money line, 
I think the Habs, they had a tough loss. They, they've been kind of playing not, not their best game over the past week, I would say. Um, but they have the Sens again um, tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, they lost to the Senators in overtime last game. I can't see them losing two in a row to the Sens, so I'm going to go with the money line for the Habs on that one. Um, and then over under, I never do this. I hate picking unders, but I'm going to pick an under this week. I've got the Bruins and the Islanders on the 25th. Um, I love, love, love the goaltending I've seen for both of those teams so far this year. And that's why I'm big on this under um, Tuka and Yaro Halak have both been really solid goalies in letting in, you know, one, two, three goals at maximum. Most games, I would say um varlamov's got two does he have three shutouts maybe already i think, I think he's I know, got three yeah. I, I know he's got at least two he might might literally have three sorokin has one of his own the islanders everybody knows play under games constantly so um, i'm hammering the under on that one i like it especially that habs pick i think the, they're gonna bounce back they just dropped a game to the Sens recently so i like that pick a lot uh let's move on to first liner versus fourth liner nick why don't you tee us off Probably the most obvious one I'll do this entire season, but Austin Matthews, 29 points in 18 games. Yeah, that's an accurate statement. I did not get that backwards. So, um, yeah, hands down my first liner. If you don't have him or have him, you wish you did. And if you do, you're a lucky bastard. Uh, my fourth liner is going to be Capo Caco. He's only got three points in 14 games for a second overall pick. I know it's your second year, but you need to be doing a little bit more than that. So, uh, yeah. It sucks for him that Hughes is kind of picking it up right now too. And I think Jack Hughes has been playing really, really well as of late too. That's the he looked, thing. He looked good in that Caps game. Yeah. That goal he had was pretty sweet. That was nasty. Uh, my first liner, I'm going to go David Pasternak. I know that's probably pretty obvious, but he had a Hattie in the outdoor game, rocking pink sunglasses. So you can't really get much better than that. Also, the Bruins pregame fits were just unbelievable so funny it took jumpsuit january to a you know something seriously can't think of what rhymes with that but uh yeah he has 113 points in his last 82 regular season games (laughs) that's uh not too bad good enough for top five in the league in the last 82 regular season games and then my fourth liner and pretty much the team of Vancouver as a whole could be the, my fourth liner. I really stuck my neck out for them and Danny 45 fucking hundred at the start of the year, but that backfired. Uh, Nate Schmidt, he only has four points in 22 games played so far this year, and he only has one point in his last five. He's also a minus two on the year. <clears throat> I really thought that the Vancouver D was going to take a big step forward this year, even though they lost Tanev. They added Nate Schmidt, who I thought would be an upgrade. Uh, I still think that he's a great player and he's a solid top four defenseman, but man, is he struggling right now? And I know that this season's weird, no preseason COVID, all that stuff. Maybe it's taking a toll on him and I get it. It's just four points in 22 games. I just don't think that's good enough for what I consider to be their second best defenseman on the team. So that's where I stand. Fair enough. Uh, for my first liner, I'm going to go with Nick Backstrom. Um, listen, guys, he's had the best start that he's had since 2011. Um, he's got 22 points in 17 games. Uh, he looks goal hungry out there, too. And and I'm talking about, like, uh, for example, 
if anyone saw that goal he scored that you don't see him score goals like this a lot, but he was just banging in the trash, like uh, behind the net, basically he's, he's crashing the net. He's picking up little crease monkey goals and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I love what I've seen from him. He's really put the team on his back as far as consistency goes for the caps. Um, You love to see it. I wish that he would get uh, more credit. He deserves it every year, but especially so, so far this year. Um, Fourth liner, I'm going to go with Ryan Johansson of the Nashville Predators. Listen, guys, this is insane. I know he's only played 10 games, no goals, four assists, and all four of the assists came on a power play. He has no even strength points so far this year. Holy shit. Isn't this guy supposed to be their first line center? Harry, how many times was this guy my fourth liner last year? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was quite a bit. Yeah. Nashville's a fourth liner. Same same thing. Yeah. No, he's been, you're right. He's supposed to be that team's first line center. And just for whatever reason, ever since he came over from Columbus has just not worked. Seth Jones trade is making Nashville look really dumb. Seriously. That was one of, that's gotta be one of the most lopsided now I would think. They, I feel like they got that karma from the terrible one that we made to them with Airat and Forsberg. Yeah. What goes around comes around, you know. Exactly. Which, speaking of, Forsberg was almost my first liner this week. I just didn't pick him because Preds are kind of irrelevant right now. Oh well. Yeah. But um, Forsberg's <laughs> actually been having a great year so far, very quietly because nobody yeah. cares. But <laughs> yeah. very, very fair point, Mac. Very fair point. Uh, and then real quick, we're going to get you on to the market report. Nick, who you got? Trending up, I've got the Los Angeles Kings. They, at this point, have won four in a row. I think they've been actually playing some decent hockey uh, between Peterson and Johnny Quick and Net. They've looked fairly okay as of late. So, yeah, I think they've impressed. And on the downside, I'm going to go with the Dallas Stars. They've dropped three in a row. They came out of the gate, you know, having not – played for two weeks guns a blazing you know scoring goals like crazy and taking names and they've definitely cooled off and uh i feel like it's just a matter of time before the the president or the vp starts naming names again (laughs) yeah i mean they do have sagan out so that kind of sucks i've I've only watched a couple of their games this year against carolina and man carolina was working them uh and carolina's working a lot of teams right now they look really good but yeah it's strange to see dallas kind of struggling the way they are uh, for my up team, it's hard not to pick the Oilers at this moment. I mean, McDavid and Dreisaitl are one and two in the league and scoring what else is new, and they're just running up the tally on everybody at this point. Uh, they just beat uh, the Flames seven to one the other night, and McDavid had five points and a hat trick. They're eight and two in their last ten, and the big guns are fucking clicking. There's <laughs> there's no way around it. When those two are going, this team is hard to beat, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they look good, and I think the way that their game is structured suits them perfectly to thrive in that North Division. It kind of seems like every game is a shootout, so it's going to be hard to outshoot those guys. Uh, for my down team, I'm going to have the Montreal Canadiens. As Mac alluded to earlier in the episode, the last week they have not played their best hockey. They only have one win in their last five games. Uh, they're 4-5-1 and one in their last 10 uh, you know, they've been dropping games to their rival, the Leafs. They dropped it to the Sens. They just don't look as crisp as they did earlier in the season. Uh, that being said, the Leafs are on fucking fire, so it's kind of hard to blame them. But looking for them to get back on track for uh, Max pick this week. And uh, for my trending up team, got to go with the Blackhawks. We mentioned it a little bit earlier in the episode that none of us really expected them to be where they're at in the division right now. 
Um, I certainly didn't. I think that the Hawks looked like they were going to have all kinds of issues between the goaltending, Jonathan Taze being out. Um, hey, give them credit. They're figuring it out. Um, Lankanen has actually been kind of a stud in net. Um, you know, doing, you know, he's not, he's not pitching shutouts or anything, but he's at least, uh, you know, giving him a chance in every game pretty much. And, uh, that's all you can ask of a guy like that. Believe they've won eight of their last 10 at this point. Um, so good for the Hawks hanging around. I don't know if it's sustainable, but it's, uh, at least going to be a thorn in the sides of all those other teams in the division, especially teams like the stars that are looking to go, uh, get over the hump. Um, Trending down team. I want to talk about the Calgary Flames for a quick, quick minute here. Um, they, they have got to figure this out. Uh, they had two shitty games in a row against the Oilers. Supposed to be the Battle of Alberta. Everybody was looking forward to it. The first one was kind of boring. Two to one Oilers win. Um, both teams had like 25 or less shots on goal. It was just kind of a dud of a game. Not much going on there. The second game bizarre in a completely different way the flames had 44 shots on goal but they they didn't really get a ton of high danger chances they lose seven to one um their goaltending has got to be better too i don't know what you can do um but you know david riddick had to come in in relief i believe for markstrom in that game uh it's not a good look when you got guys like kachuk talking after the first game saying, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You'll see. And then they come out and lose seven to one uh, after losing two to one the first night. So the flames have a lot of soul searching to do uh, and we'll see where they can go from here, but um, not a good week for them. That Sam Bennett drama is just kind of weird too. It's it's not what you need when you're in that situation either. It just, it cannot help. It's only going to hurt you. Yeah, he's kind of a heart and soul guy too, so that kind of sucks for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that pretty much does it for us. That's a great fucking episode, fellas. I think that was one of our better ones, if I do say so myself. Yeah, uh, agreed. You got you got any final notes? Yeah, I actually have two things. So uh sure. I just want to say uh big congratulations to my girlfriend's sister and her husband. They welcomed their first child into the world. Uh, this past week. So welcome Rose Alara Bergerson, Amanda and Will, we are so happy for you and uh, was very pleased to get to meet her and to hold her. Yeah, it's like literally like this big, like the smallest thing I've ever held, um, <laughs> but just such an angel and so happy for them. And then it's my mom's birthday this weekend. So I just want to say happy birthday, mom. She listens to every episode and uh, we oh, love God you. God bless her. Jesus. Yeah. That's <laughs> kind of terrifying. <laughs> Well, happy birthday. Uh, Nick, you held a baby. How was that? I did. I did hold a baby. Um, nice. I The entire time I held it. Um, <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Held her. Sorry. Yes. Her. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, like when you just like sit, like I was like frozen. I was like sitting there, like not moving. Yeah. Um, Dude, holding babies is the most terrifying thing because like everyone's looking at you. And if you do one thing wrong, tilt yeah. the head at the wrong angle, yeah. it's like, yeah. what are you doing? So. I just don't. And no, honestly, like I've like, yeah, this ain't my first baby I've held. It's probably like my third, but um, oh, so nice. I'm, I'm a seasoned pro now. And apparently I did pretty well. There you go. Yeah. Fucking reds. Good yeah. shit. All right. Well, that's good stuff. Uh, Mac, any final notes? Nope. I'm all good. All righty then. Well, guys, we appreciate you all listening to episode 64. Another big thank you to Danny Christo for joining us. 
We'll be back with you guys next week. Thank you to Dave, the Maryland Mortgage Wiz, and Brackish Life for sponsoring this episode. And we will see you later. And without further ado, class dismissed. Class dismissed.